Hey, Internet. It is day three for me of Crisis Corona. What was it? Shelter in place? Not quite there yet, although really kind of wanting to be, pretending to be, feeling like it would be fun to just not have to do anything for a while, but life keeps going, doesn't it? And so the strange thing is that you've had every pattern in your life change, and yet you have to somehow keep some of them going. And remembering which one is which, well, that's the difficulty that you're going to be facing, right? As you say, I have to do this, I have to do this, and those things are normally like in a pattern of other things, but now remembering them when those other things aren't there, that's what we've all been thrown into as we manage this corona crisis, right? Um, where are you? What happened to you today? Uh, share your thoughts and whatnot. Uh, this evening, though, we're going to be spending a little more time looking at a biblical text, and so I won't always be in the comments the entire time. Also, I'm not going to spend too much time talking about my perspective. I haven't looked at the global news since this morning when it was clear that there was one case so far in my county in northern Illinois, and that New York and Washington State, uh, West Coast, East Coast is where the real heat of the battle is at the moment. For the most part, the rest of us are just bracing for it. However, there are some rising numbers. I, also, I was I was bothered as well by a bit of what I might call alarmism. Duh. Do you expect it in the media? Of course you expect alarmism in the media. That's why they keep why you keep watching it. That's what they're selling you is the adrenaline rush of the alarmism. Uh, but it was a bit about uh, how many people, if you do the math and yada yada in the worst case scenario and yada yada, but the headline didn't say worst case scenario potential. No, no, no. It just said that this is what's going to happen. <laughs> all right. Uh, and, and, and so the, the, the exacerbating of the dilemma for all of us in our fear by refusing to kind of just, um, I don't know, come down on the side of caution and calmness and, collective, collected, collected decision-making. Uh, all that being said, I think most of us are just buckled down right now, right? So uh, in any case, uh, curious if you have more news because I have not checked this evening. Instead, what I did was I prepared to get us into the Lenten text that. Now, what I don't know, I really don't know what's going to happen when I do this. So if I do this, I don't know if you can see what I can see. And I have no way it didn't move out of, oh, my text messages, don't want to share that with you. Oh, for pity's sakes, hello, hello, hello. <laughs> so, hmm, I'm messing with Evernote and trying to see if there's a way to guarantee, but see, now I see it there, but why isn't it falling? It doesn't matter. You can see it. I can see it. There it is, right like that. What I want to do tonight is take a good solid look at, oh, sorry, distraction, one more thing or that will bother me. Uh, which should have been last night's text at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Rockford, Illinois. The Old Testament lectionary series that we've been doing throughout the year has really hit the ground now, in my mind, uh, with the book of the Judges. And moving through Lent, we're picking up on both Joshua's life, the Judges' epic era, and timing Samuel and Eli and everything that goes on there, leading into the rise and fall of Saul on Palm Sunday. So there's a great deal of stuff going on. And in the midweeks, what we're trying to do is pick up some of the better and lesser known judge stories or savior hero stories and focus in on them uh, as best as we can. Now, hold on. I got to check something here. Yeah, see, see, I'm wrong about that. And I'm just looking at something from my own mind. Yeah, that looks right. Why do I feel like Gideon should be here? No, these guys are before Gideon. Yeah, Gideon is coming. Trying to put this thing together has been done in part so that I would have to memorize names and timelines. And it's amazing how even as you're learning it, it slips away from you. But 
with all that being said, so tonight then, the goal would be to dive into one story of one judge in his time period without going too deep on it and see how it connects to the, the bigger picture. And so the first thing is you would already know, in theory, you've been going to the church where I am preaching, you would already know about these judges being saviors, about their role in society, uh, about how they aren't necessarily always faithful, but how their particular job is to protect the bloodline of the covenant promises that are going to become the one man, Jesus Christ, for us. And this is a calling that they receive from God to do this, although it's not like the prophets always, although there are times when Yahweh appears and sends them, there are times also where they just do it on their own. Well, in the midst of all of this, you tend to see a rising and falling that's, you're not even say it. There's a cycle of repentance, sort of, for the Israelites, but you also see a consistent downward slope. So even though there's like this up, down, call out to Yahweh, he responds, thing going on, it's always getting worse and worse and worse toward the end of the book. To the point where, at least as far as I see it, uh, Samson is there as a, a capstone. I mean, I believe this happened as history, but he's there as a capstone for the absolute most abominable and worst leader in the history of Israel, uh, a, a vengeful and hateful and lustful man who had no awareness of his own sinful condition. Well, that's all coming, at least in theory, in the series. But that downward spiral... The story of Deborah is almost right in the middle of that whole thing, or it is maybe, and its counterpart probably is the story of Gideon. But uh, we're not going to go all the way to Gideon yet, but what I want to say is, that, so Deborah and her story, sometimes it gets trotted out as like, hey, here's the proof for why we should have women's ordination. See, there was a judge named Deborah. We win, uh, neither male nor female, blah, blah, blah. Okay, but but that's like... That's like saying that Job had three friends and they were very smart and gave great advice. And so I'm going to take it and like run with it as the substance of my faith. Wait a minute. They gave great advice from a worldly perspective that leads to damnation. Oh, well, then maybe I shouldn't use that as my main argument. Same thing with Deborah. <laughs> the same thing with Deborah. Deborah is a fine woman and a saint of God. Uh, but her position in this story is not to laud her position as judge and savior. If anything, her position is to decry the fact that there are no faithful men left in Israel. and They're all cowards as a result of it. So even the one man whom the Lord has her tell to go and effectively judge Israel, uh, he won't do it unless she comes along like his little security blanket. So that's, that's the story of Deborah and Barak. And, um, the uh, the point here, again, is not to decry women at all. In fact, it's to decry faithless men. And that the time when you see women, faithful women, in strong leadership, and they're actually leading in the absolute front, it's only because the men have all dropped the ball. It reminds me of something that was said in a little book called, I think it's called The Office of Woman in the Church by a guy named Zerbst, who didn't really want to be a conservative, but he liked the Bible. And so he had to say what it said in this book about what it means to be a woman, written in the 50s, I believe, uh, LCMS, German writer. In any case, he, 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 against his own wishes, so far as my read on it, uh, comes to the conclusion that you cannot have women pastors. But he, he refuses to say that you cannot possibly have a woman preach in the church. And by and large, um, uh, you know, his argument is like, well, their humanity would be able to stand up there and talk, right? That's possible. But then he says, um, uh, and this is, this is the line we're going for here. He says that uh, 
However, if and when it came the time for a woman to get up and preach in the church, she would be duty-bound and biblical-bound to preach but one sermon, which effectively would say, all of you men are unbelievers, amen, and then sit down, uh, and so that they would eventually come to repentance and do what they're supposed to do, which, by the way, happens to be what the story of Deborah and Barak is effectively all about. Now, I am not going to look at all this text. We're not going to go through all of this text verse by verse tonight, but we are going to go Whew, right over the top of this thing. The people of Israel again do what is evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud, who is a pretty awesome story. You should have come to Bible study. Yep, should have been there to hear about the uh, uh, the, the fat enclosing over the hilt of the sword and perhaps even the hand as it pierces. What? That's the Bible? Yeah, that was a fun story. Well, after all of that, after all that, the people again don't remember that all these false gods and all these ridiculously wicked practices that basically ruin lives anyway are also just bad in God's sight, and so they do them again. And, well, the Lord sells them into the hands of somebody else. This is a pattern. They do evil. God says, well, you don't want the promises, then you don't have the promises. And one of the promises being their enemies could not resist them turns into, oh, no one's protecting you anymore. This time it happens to be Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sounds so cool. The commander of his army was Sisera. You should know that name. Mm-hmm. That's an important story name. Who lived in Harosheth Hagoyim. Then the people of Israel cried to the Lord. Here's the pattern. Uh, they wanted his help. And you know what? He always hears. Why? Because of the bloodline of the covenant, which is in and going to be the one man, Jesus Christ. And so to keep that alive, um, he helps out. This guy, though. He had 900 chariots of iron. He oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Uh, You know, there's some great stuff out there to find out about what that life would have been like under this. It would have been quite awful, frankly. Um, And that's part of why the people are always striving to get like, actually, I'll give you one little bit, like Gideon. When you find the story of Gideon starting, uh, he is trying to get the grain of the wheat apart from the chaff in a little tiny enclosed space that would have been dark and really largely impossible to do the task. Why was he doing this? Because he was hiding it so it couldn't be stolen from him by the raiders who were oppressing Israel at the time. So when you're living in these situations, you're living in really rough circumstances, significantly worse, I might add, than the current, what is it, shelter in place or uh, just don't go anywhere and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, We have it very good. We have it very, very good. In any case, so, uh, blah, 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 blah. They're oppressed. It's not so good. You don't want to live in that time if you don't have to. Now, at this time, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel. Now, I'm just going to go on a, a tangent here for half a second. I'm going to point out that this word, prophetess, is not as clear as most people who will talk about her being a prophetess would like it to be, especially since there is no real example in the Bible of a prophetess. Um, well, it's not fair. It's not fair. These like these three daughters. Well, I think you could argue in that text as well. Three daughters in Acts. We don't have any prophetesses whose words are recorded as thus saith the Lord words for us, right? So we don't have that. At the same time, if you wanted to say the phrase, a prophet's wife in Hebrew, say, there was this guy, no, there was this girl, right? Deborah, I don't know. Um, She was a prophetess's wife. If you wanted to say that, you would have to say it effectively the same way as this. So it is quite possible that Deborah is not a prophet, but is instead a prophetess's wife. It wouldn't say much about um, him other than that his name as the prophet would be Lapidoth, right? But we don't know much else about him. 
Perhaps that's why she gives the words, though, to um, Barak as they will come. I don't know. Maybe she is a prophetess. Um, Odd. Odd indeed, especially not being called. Usually when you have a prophet, they're going to be called or they're going to say something very specific. In any case, I'm skeptical of this translation because I think it makes a lot more sense that what she is is a prophetess's wife who does indeed judge Israel, right? She used to sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. Oh, look, Ephraim always in the lead. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment because when the judges saved, they also were looked to for leadership. And as a result, they would make decisions Bob stole Jim's cow. How much should be replaced? Deborah says, well, guys, come on. It's really easy. Split it this way, da-da-da. And it's all done, right? Kind of like Solomon on his throne a little bit. So that's what she would do. Now, notice, never does it say that God raised her up. This is really important. He He does, in fact, raise up judges. But this one, no, she just is doing it. So to say right away that, oh, look, this is what God is doing, no. I would contend what we have so far and what we will continue to have is a show of just how faithless everybody is. Deborah's faithful, and in being faithful, she's like the last vestige of this faithfulness, so we're going to find no one really wants what she has to give. God's going to give it anyway, but we're also going to enter into an age after her, Gideon's time, where nobody knows the Lord at all. So this is anything but like the best time in the book of Judges. And Deborah being the leader is never said to be, well, thank God this happened, right? Although, thank God for Deborah, because the Lord bends it all for the good in the end. So here she does this thing, right? She sends to summon uh, Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kedesh Nathali, a man of Nathali, look at that, and said to him. Now, before we get there, um, just, just a little bit more. So is she a prophetess? Is the prophet speaking through his wife? I don't know. It doesn't matter. The point is, this is not an argument for women's ordination in any way, shape, or form if you care about what's actually going on. So she sends to this guy, Barak, and she says this to him. Now, this is kind of interesting because, you know, what more do you need, right? Uh, She is not really saying, I'm to be the judge. In fact, Barak, in a sense, is the one called to be the judge at this very moment. Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Wait a minute. Has he not? Did he not? Has it happened before? Has Barak been told already to go and judge Israel and he won't do it? She just goes to him and says, look, you should know this already. How should he know it? Text doesn't tell this, but her point is he should know this already. So, hey, go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. Wow. Not usually the ones going and doing the fighting, not on this way. So that's kind of a sweet moment. Uh, And I will draw out Sisera. That's what the Lord says. I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with the chariots and troops, and I will give him into your hand. Dude, dude, the Lord has told you you're Joshua. Go do it, right? Uh, He has told you you are the judge. Go do it. Has he not? Why won't you go do it? Barak says to her, only if you go with me, mommy. If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Now, that's that's the moment where, like, everything is just wrong in this story. Barack, you, God bless you. You're a, you're a pillar of the history of the Bible. And I, I, I'm going to hope and believe we're, we're brothers in the faith in Christ. But this is not to emulate. This is not a story to teach us how to behave. This is a story to show us how through the midst of our not wanting to believe what God has surely said, which is that like, dude, you're Superman, go do it. To him, that's what he's got. He's like, he is Superman. He, But he, nope, not going to believe it. In spite of that, the Lord's going to say through your hand anyway, although with a caveat now, and, and, and in this then save 
the people and the bloodline so that eventually it can save everybody in the one man Jesus who does not shy away from his task, right? Much less uh, listen to his mother when his mother says uh, that he is uh, maybe not doing what he should be doing. So she says to him, I will surely go with you. However, Barak, my friend, you fool, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. Right? What was that? He didn't believe what God had said. He does not believe. He's been called to be effectively a savior. He doesn't do it. And so he's not. He's not He's not a judge. He's never called a judge. By the way, neither is Deborah called a judge. It just says that she was judging Israel. And it's not the saving judge. Okay, there's two words for it in the book. That, and they get confused sometimes. You have the saving judge and you have the sitting in judgment judge. It's the saving judge that matters, right? Deborah is doing the sitting in judgment judging, which is important, but it's not the thing. So she's not a judge and neither is Barack. He looks, I think he was called to be one and he doesn't get to be. And it all goes to catastrophe. And at the end of the day, well, the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman, which I know Marvel Universe, it's really important that we understand that Captain Marvel was an awesome movie. And if we say otherwise, it's sexism. I get it. I get it. It's okay. But the movie was terrible all the same. That being said, this statement here is not a go ladies kind of moment. This statement here is that you should be embarrassed, Barack, that some woman who's hiding in a tent is going to do what you, the warrior, given Marvel-like superpowers by the word of the Lord, refused to do, right? With me on this one? So it's, this is not to hurt Jael, right? Or Deborah, in any way, shape, or form. This is all about what a um, a poor and miserable savior Barak ends up being. So in any case, so Cicero is told Barak is coming up. They go to the fight. That's all cool. It, it goes pretty well, right? Barak uh, is told by Deborah again, hey, up, go. This is the day that the Lord has made. Look, this is the day in which the Lord has given Cicero into your hand. Does not the Lord go before you? Again, awesome. Uh, so, Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men. The Lord routs Sisera and he flees before Barak. So Barak's army is doing well and there is some glory there, but Sisera gets away. Barak pursues all the way to a various area. Sisera falls by the edge of the sword. Or the, excuse me, the army of Sisera falls by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left except for, except for, except for Sisera. So you have the glory of the victory, but not the glory of capturing the guy who's actually the enemy who has been oppressing you. This guy gets to a place, what, Heber the Kenite. I don't know much about that at all, but he's married to this lady named Jael, who her name and her story continues to be told because, well, blessed is she. Wait, no, most blessed is she among women for the deed that will happen today. There is peace. Now, this is weird, though. There is peace between Jabin, king of Hazor, right? This is the guy who Cicero works for, and for Heber the Kenite. So there's not peace per se, between these people and the Hebrews. So why is what's going to happen going to happen? Probably because Jael believes in Yahweh. Let's just let's just leave it at that right there. This lady is on the, these people have the real God, I want to be a God-fearing Christian kind of train here, right? So what does that lead her to do? Interestingly, maybe not rightly, but interestingly, in Art of War, uh, deceive and destroy the enemy of Israel, she ends up doing the judging, which God had sent to be done. Although, again, she's not herself called a judge either. Jael came out to meet Sisera. Turn aside, my lord. Do not be afraid, right? Hey, you're safe with me, she says. Woo! 
blinks her pretty little eyes. And uh, he turned aside to her, one in the tent. She covered him with a rug. Hey, stay down there. Shh. I know. It's dusty. <laughs> Ignore the moldy cheese. Uh, but you'll be safe beneath the bear hide. It wouldn't have been a bear. It totally would not have been a bear. But it's fun to imagine it that way. Uh, JL came out to me. Sister said to him, turn aside, my lord. Turn aside to me. Oh, I already said that part. He goes in. He's under the bear rug. Please give me some water to drink. I'm thirsty. Can I have some help? She opens a skin of milk for him. Gave him a drink. Covers him. He says, stand at the opening, right? Tell tell everybody there's nobody in the tent. Yeah, of course, that's what I'm going to do. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg. Think a spike, right? Big spike. Uh, and took a hammer in her hand. John Bunyan was a man. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. Oh, it's a little bit of an understatement to fulfill it here at the end. So he died. You'd think a spike, a railroad spike with a nice mallet-sized power hammer, right? You're asleep under a carpet and then thwack all the way through by the way. I mean, this, how long is that thing, right? All the way through into the ground. Um, uh, this is the gospel of the Lord. Merry Christmas. Amen. And Hanukkah? I don't know. Dear heavens. Well, actually, yeah. See, the uh, the tongue of the serpent and his voice as his head is crushed beneath the spike that's also been driven through the heel of the foot, which is Jesus Christ hanging upon the cross. I mean, there's a little bit of an echo there, don't you think? Just a touchy, touchy, tiny one. And and in that, then, too, who what is she doing? She is saving Israel from the one who oppressed the promise and led the people astray in so many ways, right? So she really is a hero in this way. And his death, gory as it is, is a picture of the crucifixion of your Lord and the casting of the dragon into the fires at the end of time. So don't get too hoity-toity about it with your modern, cleansed, over-antibacterialized. Did I can't believe how many people are using antibacterial lotions and soaps as if that's going to fix or stop a virus, all we're going to do is actually create the flesh-eating bacteria everybody's afraid of from over-antibiotic use through this event by sterilizing stuff that doesn't need to be sterilized in ways it doesn't need to be sterilized at all. Oh my goodness, that's something else entirely. Did we get it off on a tangent there? We certainly did. Sterilization. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's not sterilize judges. What do you say? All right. So there's more. On that day that God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel, and the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. So they actually throw him off and then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, on that day. So there's a song that we get, even though neither of them do technically get called Judges. And this song is the one you're just never going to hear sung in church. You just won't. Not going to happen. Um, awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, break out in song. Arise, Barak, lead away your captives, O son of Abinoam. Right? Hey, two big names, they're pretty spiffy, war cry, right? That's what that is. Uh, then down marched the remnant of the noble. The people of the Lord marched down for me against the mighty, right? So they're oppressed, but they're, there's a remnant, and out they go against one who is stronger than them. The kings came, they fought, then fought the kings of Canaan at Ta'anak. By the waters of Megiddo, they got no spoils of silver, right? So they came and they fought, and they thought they would win, but they lost, so the spoil was ours at this place. Ta'anak, don't know much about that. Canaan is the whole area. The waters of Megiddo, you might know Megiddo from the word Armageddon, meaning mountain of Megiddo. However, there is no mountain of Megiddo. Megiddo is a plains. There are the plains of Megiddo, a place where later there will be other battles. This is one of the early mentions of the Bible, but later Jehoshaphat, jumping Jehoshaphat, uh, has some trouble at the battle of Megiddo, not 
Armageddon, but the Battle of the Plains of Megiddo, which then is referenced sort of as a symbol by John in Revelation as a mountain that doesn't exist actually as a mountain, but the fight that happens at Megiddo under Jehoshaphat is a picture to be used and pushed into the symbolism of the fight of Christ against the devil, as all revelations always about, hence Har Megiddo, the mountain of Megiddo, a fusion of like Sinai and Calvary and Zion, where uh, the Lord wins a great and valiant battle, um, maybe even by dying. Yeah, that's none of that's here yet with this Megiddo. It's just where, in fact, it would seem Barak and uh, perhaps, uh, well, Jael. Uh, d- does her work too, which makes the Armageddon thing a little more fun. If you pull all that together, so you're pulling Jehoshaphat and Jael together into Revelation, woohoo! That's why you can't even make a movie of that stuff. You cannot go deep enough. But then they sing, Not blessed are you among women. That's just Mary, the mother of our Lord, who I don't want to demean in any way. But Jael gets this most blessed phrase. It really is something. Most blessed of women, be Jael. Uh, I guess that's not are you. Uh, we could debate the grammar there, I suppose. Most blessed woman be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. You see, you don't sing that one in church, right? <laughs> um, of tent-dwelling women, most blessed. He, oh, now, this is just, oh, it, oh, how'd this get into our Bibles? I just don't understand. Uh, he asked for water. She gave him milk. She sent her hand to the tent peg. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple between her feet. He sank. He fell. He lay still between her feet. He sank. He fell where he sank. There he fell dead. Thump, 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 thump. It's like an Edgar Allan Poe story. It's incredible. I I would love to sing this in church because what's it about again? This is about the Christ conquering death. This is about the Christ destroying our enemy, Satan. That's what they're singing about through hyper shadow, right? Through, through (coughs) sign and, um, and signal of past through prophetic events that overshadowed or led to, or pointed to the fulfillment. Then Christ does all of what these things were telling us was about to be. More about her. I guess I shouldn't have stopped there because this is just the more Edgar Allan Poe part. <laughs> Out of the window she peered. The mother of... Oh, this is so sad. I'm sorry. There, There is a reason to stop there. I mean, you should really see. This is a complete shift. Now they're going to sneer at Cicero's mom, right? I mean, this is just like playground, right? Out of the window she peered. Who? The mother of Cicero wailed through the lattice like where's my son he didn't come home like wow dude you're and they're singing in triumph of this This is a war cry Uh, why is his chariot so long in coming why tarry the hoofbeats of his chariots so may all your enemies perish O yahweh but your friend shall be like the sun as he rises in his might oh that's a war cry indeed it's so amazing and again i mean i want to sing it because who is this peering and wailing well this is the world crying over the the fall of, of Babylon, right? Babylon, Babylon, fallen is Babylon the great. Who is like her among the cities? Watch how she burns. Oh, my goodness, do you not love the masculine edge of Christianity? Can I get this thing going? Oh, goodness gracious. The martial, no, nope, that's not what I wanted. Come back, come back to me. Now, there we go. The martial military edge of Christianity that leads you to want to fight for what's true and right and good in your life, whether you're male or female, a child or elderly. We can all learn to what? Pick up the sword of the spirit? Yeah. Uh, Cast the word of God, like bread upon the water, perhaps. Um, Maybe take a moment and pop over and see what y'all got going on this evening. These don't even necessarily make sense. 
as I throw them out here in order. Good evening, ditto. Yes, that's how I was taught. Anyway, Española aside, hello. <laughs> uh, uh, good to see you guys have a little conversation over there. I think for this evening, I'm going to do less of the chatting, more of that preaching that you just got. Uh, but I will be back tomorrow at some point. I'm thinking maybe earlier in the day tomorrow. But then again, Saturday morning chills coming up the day after. In any case, I hope you're staying safe wherever you are. I hope that... When you got to go out, you got to go out. When you got to work, you got to work. In fact, if you can work, you should work. If you can work from home, even better. But if you have a chance in the next three days to just take a morning or a day with your family and just do something you all want to do together, I tell you, this is a moment in time you want to remember right now. And you want to remember it as a time you spent with those you loved, unafraid, even as the world is terrified. Yeah. So with all that being said, you all have a great evening. I will catch you on tomorrow, manana, with our 40 days of crisis. It's probably all going to go to Easter, like I all said before. Until then, and after then, and always then, until he comes again, and forever. Don't wallow in the muck, yeah? Rock on.